Welcome to Future of Journalism, a podcast from the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism. I'm Mira Salva, Deputy Director of the Institute. Joining us today are two of our current journalist fellows, Jacob Krupa and Peter Adelli. Jacob is a senior correspondent at MLEX News Agency covering data privacy and security, cybersecurity and telecom regulation, as well as Brexit and online harms. He's been based in the UK since 2012, previously working as the UK correspondent for the Polish Press Agency. Peter is the Director of Business Development at the independent Hungarian outlet 444.eu, whose role involves audience growth, diversifying the business model and funding opportunities, and commissioning special projects. Before this, he was an investigative reporter covering stories related to national security, covert foreign influence, corruption, hate groups and the rule of law, with a specific focus on judicial independence. Thank you, Jakob and Peter, for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I asked you both on this podcast today to speak about media freedom because Hungary and Poland are two of the most worrying, complex and in many ways interesting cases where freedoms in Europe are being undermined systematically. Peter, can I just start with you? The Hungarian government squeeze on media freedom has become a model in many ways for the countries in the region. Can I ask you what, if you're concerned at all about developments and what concerns you the most? Um, yes, I think things has gotten quite problematic. Uh, since the government came to power, that was 2010, there was a there was an erosion of press freedom in Hungary, uh, which was more or less constant. But by 2019, we seem to have hit a plateau, like uh, the government took over many outlets, but it seemed that their expansion stopped and they were more or less content with the media environment as it was. The pandemic changed that quite a bit. And last year we saw, uh, last year and this year, we saw many new attempts to, to further increase the government's influence in the media sphere. Uh, most importantly, last year, the largest independent uh, news portal index was taken over by government-aligned actors. Uh, they sacked the editor-in-chief. The, most of the sa- staff resigned in protest. And now the, the outlet is very much uh, in government control. And then most recently, uh, Club Radio, which is, a, which is a radio station it's based in the capital, uh, they had their uh, license. They didn't uh, renew their license, broadcast license, and so they now was forced to move on the internet. I think that the pandemic gave the government cover to to move ahead with the with further steps. I think when you know when there's a life and death crisis, press freedom is not on the in the forefront. Of, of people's thinking, the first wave spared Hungary, the first wave of the virus, this gave them political cover, and they uh, they used this situation to, to further increase their influence. Absolutely. Why do you think the government basically took aim at the media like this? I think it's about controlling the public discourse and making sure that their messages and only their messages reach the widest possible audience. I think the government uh, was pretty conscious about the type of people they want to reach. This is why there is a dichotomy in Hungarian media. There are a few independent outlets, most mostly based in the capital, mostly online. 
that are sort of allowed to exist and continue to do their work, whereas in the countryside, regional media has been completely taken over uh, over the past few years. And this is because I think in the government's eyes, the, the, the listeners and the readers of the regional media was an important target group for you know electoral purposes, whereas independent media based in Budapest was reaching an audience that were unlikely to vote for them anyways. And this is also the difference between digital media in the urban centers and then TV and radio stations in the regions, right? Yes, there is definitely more more pressure and more takeovers there. TV is obviously very important for the government and so is broadcast radio. Thank you. Peter, you've been in the UK for several years, but you have been watching and involved in the Polish media landscape as well. Tell me what you're seeing, both from a distance and from your experience working for the for the Polish news agency. Yes, it's it's obviously a very um, very changing uh, environment, and I think a lot of what Peter just said um, sounds definitely familiar to, to someone who works or worked with the with the Polish media outlets. There's certainly, and I don't want to be naive, or I don't want to be kind of um, you know too optimistic about how the media in Poland looked before the latest change of government in 2015, but um, and, and many of the problems are kind of broader structural problems that happen pretty much everywhere with, with kind of you know decline of print, decline of um, budgets essentially, and how how it's difficult for media outlets to operate. But I think there's a, there's a set of unique challenges that we have in Poland and clearly in Hungary uh, to a similar extent, um, based on essentially the the government policy. And 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 I think particularly looking from afar, when I'm kind of often listening to what my journalistic friends in Poland tell me about what's going on. But also, obviously, I still very much follow that and experience that firsthand as a, as a, as a correspondent in the UK. Um, there's certainly a problem with, um, however you want to frame it, kind of different ways of state or government trying, uh, capturing um, media outlets, be it public media, and the decline in public media is something I'm looking at um, at Reuters as well. Um, institute and and it, this is this is particularly astonishing because again Poland has a long history of public media, be it broadcast radio and, and public news agency, being seen as a kind of um, trophy um, that is you know, given to whoever wins the election and they can they can appoint the representatives, they can do whatever they want, and obviously that that doesn't necessarily lead to best outcomes in terms of journalistic you know standards. But but this government takes it much further than usual, and some of the debates, some of the some of the issues there with with extremely biased everyday um, news outlets essentially kind of openly supporting the government um, to the to the extent where last year, for example, one of the debates about funding the um, main TV channel in Poland was literally an issue in the public in the in the electoral campaign uh, with the incumbent president when they kind of talked about you know will he or will he not sign a sign a sign a new um, legal instrument giving the you know, public TV uh, two billion water in terms of uh, public funding and that was obviously during the, the campaign and obviously the moment they struck a deal um the, the public media became even more supportive of, of his presidency than before so, so obviously you get that sort of that sort of uh elements happening across the board and i think but that's that's public media but you also get a lot of problems in the private media and be it, be it free government through government aligned media outlets that get loads of funding and I'm happy to discuss that further because that's obviously one of the one of the ways they can exert influence but there's so so many more and I think 
anyone watching from afar, and particularly obviously from the UK, which the culture is a bit different, the culture of running media outlets is a bit different, uh, I think it is definitely worrying. I mean, do please um, expand on this. This is a kind of weaponizing of advertising revenue. Yes. Which... Yes. So obviously that, that's a very good example because um, you know, the biggest advertisers in Poland or one of the biggest advertisers in Poland are um, essentially government-controlled, public-owned companies. Um, and that could be, you know, oil refiner or can be, you know, someone producing electricity, Essentially, you know, quite often companies that do not necessarily need to advertise them that much because they like they have a very kind of good position on the market anyway, um, or are some of them literally like the leading company in the country. But with them spending so much money, and, and I looked it up today to prepare for our chat, and you know, in 2020 they spent over 200 million pounds. So that would be over one billion Polish water in advertising. And you would be, you know, you'd really struggle to find a clear link between, uh, you know, the reach um, or the sales of the of the outlets they they buy advertisement in, um, and the, the the amount of money they spend in these outlets. It's very clear that the that the outlets that are either public or publicly owned, but government controlled, like the public media, or essentially aligned with the government in one way or another, or supportive for the government. Um, they get a lot more money. So you, you have situations where like you know, smaller weeklies selling 30,000, 40,000 um, copies get 30% of the annual revenues from adverts from state-owned companies or kind of government-controlled companies. And much bigger newspapers and much bigger media outlets with massively, significantly bigger reach get 0%, 1% of the revenue from the government and from the advertising. That's obviously a very easy way of um, of abusing that position, and again, you know, someone could say, "Well, you know, the outlets should be should be ready for that. They should never rely on the government funding and government advertising in the first place." It, the reason that they do rely on this is a problem in itself, and that will be the, the criticism against the uh, kind of independent or opposition leaning media outlets. Uh, but then, obviously, that's a very clear way of abusing that position, even now. And when you see, like recently, they had there was a there was a big public campaign to encourage people to get vaccinated and somehow you know public media which you would expect to be you know the key and the kind of the ones that that they perform public duties by advertising that they cashed in quite nicely on that campaign and they got significant funding again from the government uh, essentially doing what they are what they're created for uh, while while a lot of independent media outlets with you know the highest sales and the highest reach in the country did not get a penny. Uh, and again, that kind of makes you feel like, hang on, is that really about advertising and reaching people and encouraging to do something? Or is that just essentially a way of supporting them financially because you, they are aligned with you, because they support you? And obviously, uh, it's very difficult to reach any other conclusion. And yes, that's exactly what it's all about. I'd imagine it's also a flip side, which is private companies will be wary of adver- that need government support, either through tax policies or Regulations will be wary of advertising the independent media outlets in case they're suddenly seen as positioning themselves as opposition. Definitely yes, and I would be interested to hear what Peter says about it because when I spoke with my colleagues in Poland, they they all said, "Well, we've seen that happen in Hungary, and we do hear about that happening in Poland about you know companies being quietly told that you know if you want to really spend your advertising budget in that newspaper, perhaps you know." 
you may want to reconsider your involvement in that public procurement project somewhere when you, you know we build an airport or build a road and maybe we will not want you because you're spending the money clearly in the wrong way or clearly you have too much money if you spend it that way um so, so there is this this element of that which is obviously very informal kind of there's a lot of talk about this happening but also i think you i think you're right because obviously there's also the element of you know what if we support you and then we're gonna be hit by a regulation in a com- theoretically completely you know, independent from each other but what if what if the government looks at you know company a sponsoring or giving a lot of money to to one of the outlets that they don't like and then thinking well clearly they have too much money why don't we regulate them a bit more um so so there's there's very clear risk of that and and that obviously comes on top of all the other problems with media regulation in Poland which I'm sure we're going to come back to as well Peter um, yeah I what Jakub described is all very familiar although I, I do think that we are a bit further down this path than than Poland is in Hungary, the largest advertiser in the media market is the state through direct sort of government-sponsored ads and ads by government-owned or partially government-owned institutions and companies. And on top of that, you have these massive companies that are private but operate in heavily regulated sectors like banking or telecom. And they are super cautious about, about where they spend their money because they don't want to, you know, get on the bad side of the government. So what our salespeople are hearing all the time is, oh, we love you, 444 is great, we read it every day, but unfortunately you have to understand there's no way for us to advertise with you because that would, you know, upset the government and we don't want that. And yes, if you are a big financial services provider or a telecom company, you do rely on the government, not just for procurements, that too, but also to regulate you in ways. And the government, I think, is clearly ready to to lean on this and prevent some of the biggest private advertisers of from uh, from advertising with independent media. So that's a huge problem. And I think that's also a reason why we can't, like when we talk about the advertising market in the US or the EU context, it's very different in, in Hungary and I think in Poland too, because there's no real market to speak of. There are some companies that are big enough or are some ways out of reach of the Hungarian government and they still advertise with independent outlets, but there are lots that just don't. And therefore, you know, with with the with the government, direct government spending on top of this, is just as just government-aligned entities, uh, media outlets have so much more resources, and basically independent media is starved. And this creates a very difficult situation where I think most can only go for audience revenues because that's the sort of the thing that is left to to sustain and finance your operation and try to grow. That brings me to my next question, which is what do you do about financial viability in this climate? And audience revenues, reader revenues are the obvious um, solution here, but they also rely on trust and uh, a, a sense of j- journalism is worth paying for. So I'd imagine it's very hard in this climate to kind of produce the kind of journalism that you then can charge for in different ways. And also I'd be very interested to know whether the, the various changes in the last few years have undermined the public trust in in independent journalism. Um, I think for us in Hungary, audience revenue has been so far 
pretty successful and promising. Uh, I think you have to understand that in the context of Hungary, where private Uh, political expression is limited in ways. You can't, especially if you live, live in smaller communities or if you work uh, in some sort of government-related or, or adjacent job, you can't really express your private, like personal political opinions because there could be repercussions. And therefore, supporting independent media became this act that you can still do. Okay, so I work at an advertising agency and I have to deal with clients who are, you know, pro-government or, you know, financing various sort of government institution. That's fine. Or I work somewhere else and expressing personal political opinions are not an option for me, but I can still support my preferred independent media outlet. And a lot of people do that. And I think that's a very important thing for us to do. This is why on the Hungarian market, paywalls are not a big thing yet. I think they are coming, but most of the players that go into audience revenue, most of the outlets offer other services, offer this feeling of you know something meaningful, the thing that you can do that will influence the, the situation that we are in more so maybe than even your vote. And uh, and I think that's valuable for people. They are willing to pay for that. And obviously, we offer other stuff, uh, newsletters, membership, and you know, closed Facebook groups connection. And I think that's also important. So I think when building trust, the most important thing from my perspective is good content. We try to deliver on that. I guess every outlet is. I think it's important to note that... Uh, In Hungary, there are different levels of independence. So you can be critical of the government, but not completely independent. For example, there are taboo topics for certain media outlets, like the the family of the prime minister and their wealth. So an, an outlet can be critical, cover public life in a, in a critical way, in a journalistic way. But then when it comes to the wealth of the prime minister's family, they would you know not cover that because that's just a taboo issue. And and we do that. There are no taboos for us at 444. I think the audience appreciates that. Also, there's no sort of artificial balance, balancing act. In the past 10 years, political life and public life moved to the right very radically, uh, sort of viewpoints and, and opinions that would have been unacceptable 10 years ago are now mainstream. And I think some media outlets responded, you know, moving with the mainstream. Uh, and maybe that's the right thing to do. But in some cases, I know that we don't do that. And I think some of our audience appreciates that we stand up for the, you know, the same ideals and values that we stood up for in 2013 when we started. And we also offer them a sense of community and connection. And I think that's also important for for trust uh we we organize amas uh events we let the audience talk to to our reporters and editors and i think that's also meaningful and it shows who we are i think it's very important for media outlets not just in central and eastern europe but elsewhere too to be engaged with the audience and not take things that we take for granted we know how a newspaper works what like 
you know, independent sources, verification means fact-checking and that sort of stuff. But people don't know that. And I think it's important to, to talk about these things because it will yield trust. That's also, I'd imagine, incredibly important for the morale amongst journalists to have a sense of what they're doing still matters and is still is still having an impact on the communities. Um, Jakob, is this something you recognise in Poland as well? Yes, but I didn't expect to, to be in a position to say that, but I have to say mm-hmm. that the Polish situation is not that bad. And no. so obviously, obviously very well done. I, I, I think I think the um I think there's this feeling that we you know if we stay on the same track as we are now, we may end we may very well end up being in the same situation as Hungary in a few years' time. But um but we obviously Poland still has independent owners, um you know, foreign companies owning media outlets. In fact, that's one of the main points of the criticism from the government that so many of the media outlets in Poland are not owned by Poles or Polish companies. And that's the whole um, agenda of repolonization that they pursue in essentially kind of an attempt to buy out stuff from foreign owners and kind of, you know, return this to, to Polish ownership. And we, we see examples of that. And again, you know, I don't, I don't, I really don't like people using, you know, far-fetched comparisons to like Russia and stuff. But, um, but th- there's a recent transaction where Polska Press, one of the one of the publishing houses in Poland, was bought by Orlen, which is a um, oil refiner essentially, and they, you know, they bought twenty regional dailies, hundred local weeklies, several magazines, several several online websites, and the, the official, and you know, massive massive transaction. And the the official claim is, you know, we do it to boost our retail sales. It's like, hang on a second. I mean, you, you literally have like petrol stations. What, what what do you need like hundred local weeklies for that? You know, I mean, people are going to buy petrol anyway, right? So so clearly, and obviously, Orlen is a state-owned company, and the the, the 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 leader of the ruling party comes out and says, you know, the CEO of the company is brilliant. He's finally doing what we always wanted to do, but we didn't have the money. He's now doing it for us. Um, that clearly, obviously, poses massive questions about the state. You know, the level of state interference. Obviously, immediately after the transaction, uh, you, you've had loads of resignations, lots of people leaving the company, and essentially saying we're not going to work with them because that's not journalism anymore. So there are certainly elements of what Peter was talking about, but on the other hand, you know, there's still uh, outlets that are doing extremely well, and you know, think like Gazeta Wyborcza, which is one of the leading dailies. Um, they have 260,000 digital subscribers um, regularly paying for content, which is again, I think it's a fairly. You, Mira, will know that better than I do, but it's, I think it's a fairly small club of outlets that can, you know, boast with that that kind of level of numbers. And then you have independent projects literally starting now, and and again, that that element of people supporting them with um, with kind of crowdfunding essentially is massive there's a there's a famous uh, independent left-wing media at Press, which is which gets a lot of center-left probably which gets a lot of um finance from from the independent backers from essentially the public or you have radio 357 again something that i'll be looking as well into former essentially journalists working for, a, for previously for um for government's own government controlled Polish radio station free, which is always kind of independent intellectual radio. They left and started a new business. Uh, and through crowdfunding, they are now getting uh, essentially, you know, 120,000 pounds or 640,000 pounds a month from people essentially, you know, giving money and paying them to the bank accounts to, to support them as an independent venture. So there's a lot of movement. So I, I think, um, and I'm sure that you know um, supporters of the current government will will be first to to, to point out that you know I, I shouldn't be too too negative about it. It's not all that, but I think there are certainly big, big, big warning signs, and particularly when you talked about 
how journalists feel and how they react to things. I think there's a lot of that. There's a lot of problems with things like, you know, there's always been problem with like proper training, proper recruitment, obviously cats outsourcing, then essentially, you know, uh, editorial offices turning into kind of copy farms when you churn, you know, 10 stories a day just because you have to, because there's no one else to do it. But other than that, you have, you have, Additional problems with that, um, and I think I think that's uh, you know lawsuits against against leading newspapers. Quite just a few days ago, we had a massive lawsuit again uh, from one of the uh, PR agencies, but run by people closely aligned um, with, including a former MP of the government, uh, who essentially you know sued I think four or five journalists from different outlets for one million watt, which is about two hundred thousand pounds from their private money. So they didn't sue the, the, the media publications; they sued them personally for that. Um, there's a number of other kind of controversial legal measures in Poland. The infamous Article 212, which is essentially a penal code um, uh, thing, when you can sue someone for defamation in mass media, and uh, it, it's not a civil um, case; it's a, it's a, it's a um, it, it's it's much more serious than that. So there are lots of instruments that have been historically abused, but they're now abused even more and obviously have chilling effect and, and have negative effect on how um, how media outlets are run. So I think there's a, there's definitely a lot of things to, to look out for. And, and one of the things that I'm concerned most is that some journalists essentially give up and some journalists either leave the profession or go to PR or go to something else that can use the communication skills they have. Or there's this kind of, uh, what I would, what I often like to call anticipatory obedience. Obedience. So people are essentially either self-censoring themselves, or if not, then kind of carefully choosing what they report on. Particularly if they work for public media, because they just don't want to end up on the wrong side. They don't want to annoy someone. And I think you know, the moment when you when you start having these conversations about should I cover this because someone's going to get annoyed at me, I think that's when when you really have you know all the lights on your dashboard. Uh, Absolutely. The self-censorship issue is incredibly important and one that's very hard to actually get journalists to draw out, partly because often people aren't even aware that's precisely what they're doing. Or they're embarrassed by it. And they're embarrassed by it. What can be done? These are both countries in the European Union. They're still you know, relatively prosperous, the media organizations, while under financial pressures, there are still, you know, some resources there. What can be done both domestically and um, by the international community to bolster journalists, really, who are, as you said, being targeted on very individual levels, as well as kind of organizational level? So I think there's there are a few points there. I mean, obviously, um, I think even things like doing this podcast helps, because obviously, it raises awareness, people know what's going on. I think that's one of the um, big issues, obviously, um, you know, we, li- we like to think that in 2021 we cover everything. But if you want to know in and out of the, of the media um, market situation in Poland, it's not that easy to, to stay up to date with everything. And I think it's important to stay up to date. Um, and I, I, would, I, would, I would very much like to see, you know, um, anyone interested in that follow, follow that very closely. I know there's a lot of frustration, for example, of the European Union, which you know, they keep saying, Ferajurova um, or other, other senior EU politicians, they keep saying essentially, you know, we are watching this, we are concerned, uh, but then what follows? And, and uh, that, that's certainly one of the, one of the issues when earlier this year, um, Polish media outlets had a massive protest against government proposed, um, government's proposal to have a new advertising revenue tax, which was kind of sold to the public as a kind of COVID related measure with some of the money going to healthcare system, some of the money going to culture funds. 
um, essentially 43 outlets turned off for 24 hours. So if you if you if you turned off your TV, you would you would you would see nothing apart from public um, owned, public government government controlled media. Um, and then again, you know, uh, you, so imagine that. I mean, in a, in, a, in a country of 36 or 38 million, uh, you turn on TV and, and there's nothing you can watch. And it literally the screen says, you know, this was supposed to be your favorite program, but it's not there because if the government follows through on the on the on this threat, we are done. We we, we have no way to survive um, or to operate. And then you comes out and says, yeah, we've seen the black screens, but we can, you know, what we can do about it. Um, so, uh, so I think there's uh, I think there's a lot of that, and I think there will be a lot of um, big cases coming up as well when people will be watching at what's going on. So as I mentioned earlier, um, the takeover by the old refiner Orlen of Polska Press, the, the weeklies and the regional um, dailies they talked about, there's a second case um, which um, is an attempt to take over Eurozet or Eurozet um, uh, by Agora, which is the owner of Gazdev Borcha Daily, which again, uh, you know, just like clearly the antitrust um, regulator in Poland did not have any problems approving the, the big takeover by government-owned company, here they first delayed it, then they blocked the transaction, which would lead to consolidation of the kind of independent media market. I know that this will be, again, complained to, to the European Union, they will be looked at by the European Union, so something to look at, but also things like what Peter talked about earlier about Club Radio, I mean, the biggest, largest Polish news channel, the um, uh, TVN24, um, their license is up for renewal later this year, it's been massively delayed. Uh, already, and the, the the channel has been complaining about it, and there'll be a lot of people watching what's going on. And even though it's US owned by Discovery, and obviously it's got financial backing, just like many other independent media outlets, not I can't stress it enough. There's a big difference between Hungary and Poland. I think there will be you know clashes like that when you have that regulatory uncertainty, and people will be thinking, you know, what we, what do we need to do to essentially get that license? Um, and how do we go about it? So I think I think raising awareness, looking at these things, kind of tracking all of that, and, and yeah, and just 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 I think talking about it, um, but also obviously for for all kind of uh, I know that some embassies, particularly the U.S. embassy, the Canadian embassy, and the U.K. embassy, are involved in discussions about it in Poland, and they kind of raise awareness. I think there's there's space for that as well. Absolutely. Peter, I mean, Hungary is one of the major recipients of EU structural funds. And, you know, there is a kind of dichotomy between receiving that that money and then in many ways undermining some of the core values promoted by the European Union. Is there anything that can be done here that would be useful for journalists? I can think of two things. So there are a number of proceedings in front of the EU that are related to uh illegal state subsidies and uh, competition rules. So in Hungary in 2018, after a, whatever, a complicated past, the government consolidated its media empire into what's known as Keshma, the Central European Media and Publishing Foundation. They now control over 450 outlets. That's one foundation. This merger was made exempt from re- regulatory oversight in Hungary by the decree by the par- prime minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would very much be interested in what the competition authorities in Brussels think about this merger. Again, because the Hungarian authorities didn't even look at it because of the decree. Also, the way that state advertising is distributed, and it's very, very one-sided, uh, I think it would be very interesting to see whether this is in line with uh, with EU rules about uh, state subsidies and such. I think some of these cases are already in front of various commissioners, uh, but they don't seem to be 
too keen on moving forward with them. So I think in Hungary, this, because the government has this very sort of legalistic approach, uh, changing laws, uh, uh, manufacturing situations through legal means. And therefore, I think some of the responses, some of the meaningful responses to that can come from, from, from the EU through, again, legal means and to see if the measures are in line with, uh, with EU regulations. The other thing is, and I know this is not going to be very original, but it's money. I think there was a while after Hungary joined the EU that most everyone thought you know, Hungary is here with us arrived and therefore grants and funders turned to other regions and there were little grant money uh, to be found for Hungarian projects. I think this is changing because, again, over the past few years, it became increasingly visible that there are still some problems or there are even new problems that we didn't have uh, before. But I think it's important for... Uh, for for donor organizations when they look at where they want to spend their money uh, to to further the cause of free media that Hungary and Hungarian outlets need resources and uh, and I perfectly understand that there are other regions in the world which you know are even more problematic or dangerous and warrant you know their attention too but uh, but yeah Hungary does it as well but in Hungary in particular, how would donors and any potential grant organizations overcome this narrative of this is foreign influence, mm-hmm. this is this is unpatriotic money coming in, and the, you know this is this is what's been happening with the George Soros um, back. Um- I, to be perfectly honest, that that narrative is really there, regardless right. whether you take money from foreign donors or not. That you are going to be called a foreign agent, uh, a mole, a CIA, whatever, regardless whether you take any money really from anyone. That's just a, that's just a brand. That's just a thing to say about we don't agree with you therefore you are you know unpatriotic therefore you are an agent of foreign influence i think there's more money from the eu now uh, there were a number of of grants around investigative journalism cross border projects uh, eu is founding some fact checking around some things around fact checking which is also meaningful. The, the more, the merrier. Obviously, EU money is preferable to to other types of funding. But I think most uh, most independent uh, outlets would be very willing to go for any type of grants because, again, they will be called foreign agents. Whether you know them, them did they do them that they don't. You might as well have the money. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jakob and Peter, for joining us today. Thank you. Our guests today were our journalist fellows, Jakob Krupa, senior correspondent at the MLEX News Agency, and Peter Adelje, Director of Business Development at 444.hu. Make sure to follow our podcast channel on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss the next episode. And if you don't want to miss any news from the Institute, subscribe to our weekly newsletter by clicking on the link on our Twitter bio or on our homepage. Thank you all very much. <laughs>